1: or on our website in legalterms.mpbonline.org. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy lotridge Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Significant in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. So our primary mission on Money Talks is to answer your personal finance questions, but we also come up with topics that we think might be of interest to you. Today, we're looking for your questions, but also have several things to talk about to fill in the time between your calls. You can contact us by email. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. Uh, So good morning. Uh, In financial news, I thought we could kick things off. I understand that uh, President Biden's uh, student loan forgiveness uh, plan is in the news again.
0: Right. It's before the Supreme Court. Um, My gut feeling is it's going to get knocked down. And uh, this is a challenge based on how uh, this is funded, that it should go through Congress mm-hmm. versus coming from the executive branch. And so even though a lot of people out there have already applied for this and been approved, um, it may not come to pass.
2: And, and it's very interesting. The law that was used to say, yes, we can do this. Yes, we can offer this forgiveness was a 2003 law passed in the wake of 9-11. It was called the HEROES Act. And it basically says it's, it's almost explicit in the law. If you read it, it says to the effect of if there is a national emergency, the president can change the terms of these loans. Uh, it's that's a, a vast oversimplification, but it's it's fairly straight. That was what the administration used to, and that's why it kind of took them a long time. You got to got to have a lot of lawyers reading that and, and interpreting that. <laughs> and I uh, believe um, so, the
0: um, attorneys general are the from several states, including Mississippi, are the ones bringing this case. Yes. I, I'm I, I'm not quite clear what their complaint is, why it is, could be um, hurtful to the state mm-hmm. and its residents. I don't know.
2: I, I forget. I think some of them, the argument was, uh, oh, there are, there's a, there's a, there's a servicer based here, or there's a there's servicer employs people. Something to do with lost people, revenue. So yes. therefore, if they had less revenue, then there would be less employment. I mean, that is... I, if, if we're going to talk about the, the dollar benefit to the states uh, for keeping the student loans versus the dollar benefit for getting rid of them, I, I don't think that keeping the student loans is a great benefit to any state.
1: So, uh, Nancy, anything else uh, caught your eye this week? Yeah.
0: um, Well, we had our big CFA forecast dinner last week. And, uh, Ryder, what was it, about 350 people there? Something like that. Um, It was always a great event. We bring in a panel, uh, a national panel who come in and talk about stocks, Bonds, macroeconomic issues, and we were particularly interested in their talk about bonds. And, of course, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people have seen rates on their money markets and CDs and all of the fixed income rates going up. And what they talked about was, okay, there's there's a limit to how far they can go Mm -hmm. up for several reasons. And one of the most interesting to me was them going back to the 90s when about 17 million people were over the age of 60. And that group is going to be heavily focused on fixed income, bonds, money markets, CDs. Mm -hmm. They controlled about 35 to 38% of the overall market. That group now is over 50 million, and they control 70% of that market. So they were saying, even though we've seen this huge increase in yields, and people are saying, well, you know, I'm just going to hang out at one year, you need to stretch out on your maturities because there's a wall out there. There's a
2: limit mm-hmm. to how far those rates go up. Yeah, so he's basically saying there is so much money in the hands of Mostly Old older people. folks, yes. but, but just in general of people who want and need to buy fixed income, people who want and need to buy bonds. There's such a huge amount of money there that every, every teeny tiny little step, every teeny tiny little uh, bit more attractive, those yields get, there is more and more money going into them. And that's what's going to keep those rates down. And that's a question we get all the time. Oh, this, This one-year yield, which is heavily influenced by the Federal Reserve, this one-year yield on a CD is just—it's just—it's say it's four and a half percent. Whereas you look out five years, it's it's only four percent. Oh, shouldn't I always take that four and a half? Well, and what he said was, well, if you take that one year at Four and a half, or whatever it is, you might not be happy with your options when that matures in only one year. And and don't forget that five year at say it's four percent, or that ten year Treasury at four percent, we would have killed for that number two Absolutely, years ago. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I was just looking, and ten year Treasuries hung out at or below two for most of the past dozen years. So, yes, 4% on a 10-year, it doesn't sound that amazing in this environment. But, again, just a couple of years ago, you'd be dying for that yield.
0: And what we've been trying to say to folks is... We have this window of these higher yields. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and stretch out on the maturities or what we call duration and grab as much as you can. Because of this um, demographic difference and the wall that we're facing with those yields, we're also facing the possibility of lower economic activity, a possible recession and rates going the other way. So if you lock in at that five year, you're sitting pretty.
1: This is Money Talks. We're letting you uh, drive the ship, as it were, uh, drive the car, I guess I should say, as it were, with uh, your personal finance questions this morning. (laughs) Is it
0: an electric car or a gas-powered car?
1: Oh, no. (laughs) Interesting sidelight. My brother went to visit my mom in upstate New York uh, just last week, I think it was, and had rented a car at the Albany Airport, and uh, they tried to stick him with a Volt, which is an electric car, and he was kind of like... I've never driven an electric car before. I don't know where to go to... uh, To recharge? Right. To to an outlet. You go to
2: to a little plug. A plug, yeah. Plug it in the wall. But where are they? (laughs) (laughs) That's a fair concern. Anyway.
0: Well, did you know that you can plug into a home outlet? Now, it's going to charge at a much slower slower, rate, like
2: five miles per hour, but you can... (laughs) Well, my fr- Charging is five miles an hour. <laughs> well, you know. My friends yeah. in
1: California have uh, one electric, one hybrid, and they got some kind of souped-up thing that they installed. Yes. So mm-hmm. that it's quicker. Many people
0: will do that. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yep. Uh, anyway, uh, it's an open topic day. We're letting you decide what questions to ask. My brother eventually got a pickup truck, by the way, so he got a
2: gas-powered vehicle. So all, all's well and well. <laughs> Where will you find the gas these days? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ryder, anything else uh, financially speaking on your mind? Uh, yeah. So wh- one of the things we talk about a lot is credit and credit reporting, things like that. And, and there's been a lot of talk recently. I think we kind of previewed this a month or so ago about adding things to your credit report so utility payments and rent payments to make it more fair and this is very interesting because I, I like to think of the idea of having a credit report is to make it a little more fair and a little less objective it's not just oh I have a relationship with the guy at the bank so they gave me a loan it's a we looked at these objective numbers and decided yes you are pretty good at paying those back uh, but so I looked a little more into the, the development of his uh, of credit how that came to be and how that can impact uh, your situation situation. situation, uh, how your family was raised, uh, when your parents got access to credit, how that impacts your own credit. One call last week was fantastic. There was a caller who added his 14-year-old children to his credit card. That is just a direct. That was interesting. Your parents just giving you a hand up. I mean, that's a very direct, clear example, but essentially credit kind of evolved from okay a store would extend their customer credit and eventually that evolved to they would share that information with local companies, form a local bureau, say there'd be a, a Mississippi Bureau or a Jackson Bureau or a Coast Bureau that shared information said oh so and so he's good with his credit, oh so and so we're on the coast he goes to the casinos too often um, but then there were some acts, the Fair Credit Reporting Act of 1970 set a few rules. Uh, the Fair Isaac and Company developed the numeric score so that started st- kicked off a lot of national consolidation. Uh, It was only 1974 when they disallowed using information like sex, race, marital status, religion, uh, national origin from your credit report. So that was really recent. In 1973, you could have just been denied credit for being a female, for being unmarried, for being, uh, I don't know, not at the right church uh, on Sunday. So so that was hard. If you were, if your parents or your grandparents were part of that generation and denied credit in that way, they, you, you probably never learned how to interact with the credit system. So that's one, one thing that can be restrictive. Another thing is restrictive is when they only had loans on there, then you would just have less information. You get one mortgage. Maybe you you sell your house and buy another house. You get another mortgage. There's just not a lot of information there. Uh, you add credit cards. Okay, a lot of people have credit cards. Again, not everyone has credit cards. You start adding student loans, car loans, etc. Adding those things means there's more information there and more people can have a credit report. So that just makes it accessible to more people. Expanding to rent and utility data, I don't know. I know they've done a lot of studies. They're very confident about adding this data. So I'm very happy for that. Uh, But that just opens up the doors to so many more people because again, imagine it was only mortgages. There would be so, it would just be such a limited population that has credit.
0: Um and Connected to that, we have another lawsuit on the horizon uh, related to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB, which was created after the financial crisis of 2008. I believe it was part of the Dodd-Frank Financial Reform Bill of 2010. It is actually under the Federal Reserve, so it's funded through the Federal Reserve. So there is a lawsuit. Again, Mississippi is participating in this, saying that their funding is unconstitutional, basically trying to do away with the CFPB. The CFPB is designed to protect consumers from these um, um, unfair lending practices, and uh, they are uh, monitoring payday loans as well as all kinds of other lending. So we are watching that unfold as well.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that'll be something to keep an eye on for sure. You're listening to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org is one way to hear past episodes. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand to all the local MPB think radio programs. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. We're looking for any personal finance questions that you might have today. In between your calls, we've got some interesting topics to discuss. But we'll delay that uh, first because we have a caller on the line, and the name has disappeared. So Janet in Louisville is on the line. Thanks for calling, Janet. What do you have for us? Um, I talked to a personal investment um,
0: manager, and he suggested that I invest in SEI investments. And i um, been asking people around if they know anything about it, and I'm would you, to know if y'all did. Okay, Janet, would you say that again, those letters? S as in C, E as in Echo. Oh, SEI. So SEI is a um, family of mutual (laughs) funds that mostly uh, does what we call passive investing, and passive investing is simply you know you know you're not trying to pick whether uh, Apple is better than Facebook, you're just buying a group of investments that represent different indexes. So that is a good approach. Um, Still, when you do that, you need to find out with each of those funds, because I believe SEI still does mostly what we call open-end mutual funds, that um, those may have higher expense ratios than if you used exchange-traded funds. I'm not sure if they're doing any of that right now. Do you know, Ryder?
2: I'm, I'm not sure, but SEI could also be just the, the brokerage firm that he is working for. I mean, he could be selling these funds, and so that is what he's offering. I mean, they, they do offer more than just the fund itself. It it may be he is an SEI advisor. It's unclear well, uh, what yeah, exactly he's um, saying. I've just
0: run into a lot of financial advisors who have gone that route over the last decade or so, and they mainly put their clients with those SEI funds but it is passive investing which would be could be fine um we do a lot of passive investing ourselves but you just need to check on what is is that going to cost what are the what is the expense ratio of each of those funds what is that person going to charge you in addition to that Right. OK. Um, Janet, you can also do your own research. You can go to Morningstar.com. You can put in the name or you can ask this advisor for the symbols. There's, uh, if it's a mutual fund, it will be five letters with an X at the end. You can plug that symbol into Morningstar.com and find out all kinds of information. What does that particular fund invest in? What is its holdings? How much do you pay for it? How do you get in and out of it? All those things will be there. Okay, can you do that with Vanguard? Yes, yes. Any of those you can. Uh, Go to Morningstar.com. You need the symbol. So any opened in mutual fund, again, will have five letters with an X at the end. If it's an exchange-traded fund, it's probably going to be Three, do any of them have four letters? I think it's just Some three. Do. Some will have four. Some will have four. Um, and you can plug that in and find out all kinds of information about that fund. Remember, a fund is just a portfolio of other investments. So you need to peek into that portfolio to see, well, th- are those the things I want to own? And uh, if someone is managing that or monitoring it, how is it performed over the long haul? And how much am I paying for that? <coughs>
1: Right. Okay.
2: Great. And and Janet, we are we have a, a few more things to say about uh, working with an advisor uh, coming up. So so don't don't turn your radio off when you hang up.
0: Okay. Yeah. Because I would like to know. Because it's yeah, it's
1: been interesting. Great. Okay. All right, uh, Janet, thank you for your call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We've got some open phone lines. Call us if you have a personal finance question that needs answering. So as Ryder mentioned, we're going to dip into a little bit of a discussion about uh, how to pick out and uh, have a good working relationship with a financial advisor. Uh, Nancy, what are some things to think about? When you're considering getting a financial advisor?
0: Well, the first thing you need to ask yourself is do I really need an advisor? And uh, there's. Of
1: course s- you do. <laughs> <laughs> no, Everyone some-
0: could give well, good
2: advice.
0: Some people are just uh, comfortable and prefer to do it on their own. And for those people, that's not what Ryder and I are here for. <laughs> Go your way. Go. So, um, but, uh, other people like to have someone just peek in on what they're doing on an occasional Mm -hmm. basis. We sometimes do that. So look to see if you, if that's who you are, then do you want to hire somebody on an hourly basis? Just to look objectively, and that's what you want, is an objective overview of what you're doing. Um, that means to be careful about anybody who is doing commissions because they're going to point you in that commission direction. We are fee-only advisors, so it's very mm. important when you – Talk to somebody who puts themselves out there as a financial advisor or financial planner. How are you paid? That's one of the most important questions you can ask. And as long as you understand what that arrangement is, it's fine. So we are fee only. We don't do any commissions. There are some who are fee based. So they charge you a fee as well as putting you in some commission products. And then there are other advisors who are strictly commission. We do have a problem with that because I think there is a um, conflict of interest. And most people don't understand what they're paying as far as commission products. Um, so look at those differences. Look at uh, the credentials of that advisor's uh are they CFPs, certified financial planners? We are CFAs, charter financial analysts. Um, what is their education? What is their experience? And don't be afraid to ask for references. You can ask, uh, give me the names of some people you've worked with. And of course, they're going to give you the names of people who like them. <laughs> but you can also find out a lot of good information. You can even meet face-to-face with an advisor. So we offer that for somebody who just wants to come in. They're not looking for advice on the front end. They're just looking looking to look us in the eye and see if this is a good fit, because it is important that you fit well with that person, because you're going to be giving them all kinds of personal financial information and you need to be comfortable with them. You need to trust that they will take care of that and that they're going to give you good advice.
1: Uh, just a minute, we'll continue that discussion, but we have another caller on the line. And if you have a personal finance question that needs answering this morning, you can give us a call as well. Susan has called in from Tennessee. Susan, you're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Yes. Uh, my nephew passed away recently and left a 10-year-old daughter, and I would like to do a little investing for her. And I was wondering if savings bonds were still a thing and if that would be a good investment for a 10-year-old.
2: Uh, savings bonds uh, are still a thing. I was just looking at rates on those um, earlier. I I don't know the rates are, even after just saying, the rates on this uh, savings bonds right now are pretty low, 2.1%. I mean, that's That's like half of what any other savings rate is. I'm not sure uh, that that's a very attractive proposition. For someone who's 10 years old, a couple of things to think about is what do you want to be investing for? Why do you want to invest for them? If it's just so that they have some money later and it's in cash, then, well, I guess a bond or a savings account might be fine. Uh, If it's specifically you want to help save so that uh, they can go to college one day, you might want to look at uh, your state's 529 plan. Uh, Every state runs one. I'm not super familiar with the Tennessee one, uh, but there is one there where you can put money away specifically designated towards college or higher education expenses. Super flexible. We love talking about those. We have several episodes on those. Uh, or do you want to invest to get her interested in investing? Uh, there are, and, and, and in that case, I would suggest that there's a lot of things that are more interesting than a savings bond. Uh, there may be companies she's interested in, places she likes to shop, or. Uh, be- Entertainment sources, so Disney is a classic uh, for kids. If they like Disney movie, buy them some Disney stock and, and show them how that, how that stock moves. Uh, that's the first thing I would consider is what are you investing for and, and why? Okay, I appreciate that. That's mm-hmm. good information. Thank you so much. All right, uh, Susan.
1: Thanks for the call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. we will talk a little bit about uh, a relationship with a financial advisor, and it's important to do some homework on most things financial. I think it's important mm-hmm. to do homework. Uh, so, Ryder, what are some things to think about when looking for that advisor?
2: Yeah. So, I just kind of want to expand on a couple of things Nancy said because we covered a lot there. Uh, not only just what are they paid, but how are they paid? So, she noted that you can be paid through commission, you can be paid uh, by a fee. Think about who is paying that person because whoever is paying you is the person you're responding to. If if you as the client are the person paying your advisor, great. They answer to you. Uh, If they are paid by some other company, so for instance, someone called about uh, someone offering some mutual funds to her, it may be that that mutual fund company pays that advisor to offer those funds. So while those funds might be fine, while they might be getting very good advice, understand that there's a conflict there and understand who they answer to. Uh, So think where that money is coming from and how they are paid and how that affects their interests and yours. You want y'all's interests to be aligned. You want to be the person paying your advisor because then they are only going to get paid if, if you are successful and happy. Um, a lot of times people talk about the, the price you're paying. And nowadays, I feel like most if, if you're an expensive advisor, I mean, that's uh, we, we just don't see that as often. There are still some folks who I think charge a bit much, but the main, uh, the main argument now, the main thing to look for is what value are you going to get? What other things are they going to help you with? It's, it's really easy. You can get decent investment management and decent investment recommendations for a lot of places. If you have a, if you have an online brokerage account, there's probably a tab you can click and answer a few questions and it gives you some perfectly investment recommendations. Now, the value of an advisor just in the portfolio is making sure that you understand why you're doing it, making sure you understand that risk. So when that portfolio is looking really bad, they can help you understand what lies ahead and, and, and why did we invest in this in the first place? And, and, and is that still appropriate instead of you just making a rash decision? Um, then what else do you get for your money? Are they helping you uh, get prepared for your taxes? Are they helping you Uh, get your mind wrapped around what your estate is going to look like and what you're going to pass on to your kids and help help you optimize those things Uh, and working with your CPAs and your state attorneys on things like that are they helping you out in other areas of your financial life and then one thing that Nancy said super 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 important Uh, do you trust them do you like them you're both going to be sharing very intimate, important information and and we can give someone the best advice in the world but if they just don't believe us, if they're just like, oh yeah, Nancy said that I should save more money but something about her, I just don't, I just don't, that uh, if you're if, if they're not going to present things in a way that you understand and uh, you can you can get behind, then it's just it's just not the right person for you, no matter how good they are.
0: Um, also, there is a word, and we've heard a lot about this word in the last few years, and that's fiduciary. Oh, yes. Oh, I was gonna So, um, and it was funny when that word became so prominent in the media, we got phone calls from our clients saying, are you a fiduciary? And we're like, well, yes, we've always been a fiduciary. We've been a fiduciary since
2: before it was cool. (laughs) So
0: if you, we are what's called a registered investment advisor, which means we are required to be fiduciaries. And that means we are required to put the interest of our clients ahead of our own interest. And not everyone who works in the financial business is under that same standard. Standard.
1: Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy lotridge Janderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder holds the Certificate Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Uh, to fill time for this show, we've been talking about several different topics that might be of interest to you. Um, so we've got another call being lined up, but before we get to that, Um, It's always a good idea to try to cut expenses, especially in retirement. Recently, the website GoBankingRates.com had some cost-cutting suggestions for retirees. Uh, Nancy, share a few, if you would.
0: Well, the first thing you can do is uh, go back to the old spending plan and look at what your expenditures are over a year. Um, Many of the clients we work with who are retired uh, have Houses that are paid for, but they have lumpy expenses. So that big insurance bill that comes due on their house or the car insurance that comes due every quarter or the taxes that are due on the house once a year, to look at that over a year and spread it out to really see what you're spending money on. And of course, a lot of seniors are going to find one of their biggest expenditures is going to be on medical expenses and at the drugstore. And so you can um, do things like talk to your doctor to see if there are samples available, if there are coupons. Um, For me, I actually joined GoodRx. And so that I could get a better price on a particular prescription that my insurance will not pay. Mm. And so at least it's giving me a cut rate deal on that. But looking at those things to see where you can cut expenses, often that's going to be in areas of subscriptions. Sometimes you don't even remember. At my house, we finally sat down and started looking at all of the streaming services we've (laughs) added up. Because especially uh, in the colder months, we find we are streaming a lot more television and uh Um, And then you just you just stack it up and you forget about it. So go back and think about those things. Look at those credit cards, because often we forget to just look at line by line to see where everything is leaking out. Um, You could Think about downsizing, but most of the time we talk to people about downsizing, selling a home they've lived in for a long time, a bigger house and moving to a smaller home. If you're staying in the same area, often it doesn't work because you're ending up, yes, you're taking some money off the table, but it's going to cost you just to have that Newer house, smaller house, and you 're really not saving yourself a lot and you 're creating a lot of trouble with all the move and the expense related to that, so be careful if you think i 'm just going to downsize now if you what what i 've seen is a lot of people in the northeast who have uh, very expensive homes there or if they 're in California, you can sell those and move to a state with lower expenses and lower property cost and that can help you, but otherwise it doesn 't usually
1: work back to the phone lines we go. Steve has called in from Madison, and he is up next. Good morning, Steve. You're on the air with us, so go ahead. Good morning. Uh, Enjoy your show, by the way. Thank you. Uh, My question is, I I have a retirement account. Uh, You know, it's just money that was putting up in about 10% while I was working, and uh, matching funds and all that. Well, I'm retired now. I've been retired about three years. I haven't touched that money. Uh, I'm just
2: wondering, I mean, I can, I can go with- Uh-oh. Oh, no, Steve. I think we lost him. Did he go into a tunnel? Uh, I'm not sure. Are there, are there any tunnels? Under a bridge? There we go. Steve, you, you back with us? Oh, you lost me.
1: I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes.
2: Uh, you had just yeah, said that I, you I, hadn't I, touched this money uh, in years. Right. And I'm just wondering if there's anything else I
1: should be
2: doing <laughs> Sure, yeah, there's a lot that you can and maybe even should be doing with, uh, an old employer account. Uh, so it, but possibly I'm hearing that it might still be in say a 401k type account. I always want to watch out for what the investment options are in a 401k, often a lot more limited than you could get in a brokerage account that you control, or if you have an advisor already that your advisor is working in, your options are a lot more limited. Uh, they may be good. I've seen them improve a lot over the last few years. So, uh, the, but it can be a mixed bag. So one, yes, you can just change the investments. I don't know what you're invested in, and I don't know what your needs are, so we can't really speak to that specifically. But there's also a lot of strategies you can do once you roll that over into an IRA. You can, if you are over the age of 70 and a half, you can start making charitable gifts out of there. It reduces that Every dollar in there, every dollar in that retirement account, if that's a deferred account, is future income tax you're gonna have to pay. Uh, if you do charitable gifting directly from it, you, you don't pay the taxes on it. It's a great way to reduce that tax liability, but still meet your, uh, the, the gifting, uh, the charitable giving that you already wanna do. And that counts at giving to your old schools, give, or new schools, uh, in your church, uh, and of course any 501c3. Um, One other thing you can do, a big strategy we do with a lot of folks, this takes a lot of uh, looking at and a lot of calculations, is converting some of that to a Roth. Uh, That might be something appropriate for you, but that might be something you want to uh, work with an uh, investment advisor who can do that calculation for you.
0: In addition to those advantages with an IRA, if you rolled it over, uh, ease of access, using it for charitable donations – For most 401ks, it's a little bit harder to get to your money than it is just with an IRA account. So that's usually why uh, the folks we deal with will go ahead and roll those over. Now, the big question is, how do you roll over? an old employer plan, it's very easy. The first thing you have to do is open an IRA account somewhere else. It can be at the bank, it can be at a brokerage house, a Vanguard, a Schwab, a Fidelity, whatever you want to do. Once you have that IRA account established, you contact the 401k provider from your old employer, and you have that conversation with them. I have this new account. I want to roll it over. Some of them will let you do it over the phone. Some of them Require you to fill out some paperwork. They usually send you a big packet of information. We find there are usually about two or three pages in that you have to complete. But it's really quite easy to get done. And that would be one reason for you to talk to a financial advisor if you get that huge packet and your eyes just roll back in your mm-hmm. head. An advisor can do that very quickly That's for a, you.
2: No, there'll be two pages you need to sign and uh, twenty pages of fine print. <laughs>
1: All right, Steve, uh, we appreciate your uh, call this morning. Let's stay on the phone lines. Uh, Mark is has also called in today. Good morning, Mark. It's your turn. Go ahead. Yes, I was wondering, uh, my wife and I are thinking about retiring in the next uh, year, and uh, right now we both have uh, 401ks, but that's pretty much all our savings. Do you think it's too late to change investments or to seek a financial advisor to plan
2: ahead? Uh, as long as you haven't run out of money, it's not too late, no. Um, I, I think now is a great time to look at what you have, and at least, even if it's not, a, even if you don't need a big change in investments, maybe you've kind of kept it up, maybe the plan has some features where it kind of suggests, oh, as you age, you might need this, that, or the other, or maybe you're in a target date plan, that's which is a, a decent investment option, uh, but it's a, probably a really good time to look with somebody and say, this is what my spending needs are that I see over the next few years, and then just general needs in the future. Uh, This is where my income will come from. Say you have some Social Security, and these are the assets that I have. I own my home, and uh, I have my 401Ks, and and does this all work together? Can this 401K meet my spending needs uh, for the rest of my life? And and help develop a spending plan, help develop how many dollars Can I generate out of this account and still have money um, for the next year and the next year? And if you have children and have an estate plan and want to leave some money for them, can can I meet those needs? Can I meet those goals as well? That's a great time to review.
0: Uh, Yeah, Mark, I would say to you, um, your situation is very typical when people first walk in our door, uh, because when you get close to retirement and all you've done is your 401k and you've done the hard work, you've saved, Mm -hmm. you've been disciplined, you've uh, worked hard all these years, but you really need for someone to look at your whole situation and come up with that plan. So this is a good time to seek someone out. Okay. Well,
2: thank you so much. Absolutely. I really appreciate your show. All right. Thanks yeah. for the call. And for, uh, for other folks listening out there, you know, call, <laughs> meet with somebody one year before you retire. Uh, if that's when you're going to do it, absolutely. But if you are thinking of retiring at some point in the distant future, even if you're 10 years out, even if you're not really sure, meeting with somebody who, again, can help you get an idea of what you need to do to get there. Uh, if you're at the point where you're, a year away from retiring then we can help you understand what you can do with what you've done but if you're 10 or 20 years away from retirement we can help you understand how to get to pretty much anywhere anywhere where uh, you want to yeah, be where you want to yeah. be not you know again if, if you've done a good job saving you're, you're, you're probably in good shape but uh but yeah we can we can do even better maybe
1: you're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy lotridge janderson President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. As promised, Steve is on the line from Biloxi, and we'll get to his call now. Good morning, Steve. What do you have for us today? Good morning. Uh, I'm 65 years old. and plan to work till probably I'm 70. Uh, I've got about eight years left on a home mortgage at a relatively low interest rate, like three seven five. Would I be better off going ahead and trying to uh, double up on payments and pay off the house or put that money in investments? Um, You
0: you have a really great mortgage rate. Now, at. With only eight years left, you don't have much of an interest deduction there. And my guess is with the increase in the standard deduction, it's not an advantage anyway. So the big question is, can you earn more on your investments outside of this? Are you participating in an employer plan? Do you have a a 401k? How much much are you putting in that 401k? Uh,
1: Probably now about $600 a month.
0: Okay, so $600 a month is less than you could put in, um, what is it, 27000 now, I think, is the total for anybody oh, over 50?
2: Yes, for, so including the catch-up, yes. the 401k contribution, I believe, is around twenty seven or more.
0: So that's the best use of your money, because there's a tax deduction, um, well, it, it, there is a portion of that that is not taxed, let's put it that way. And so you're better off... Piling into that 401k as much as you can versus putting it in the house. And, yes, you may still owe some on that house when you retire in five years, but you said you have only have three years left on it. It's going to be a smaller balance mm-hmm. at that point, and you can make the choice then whether to go ahead and pay it off or just let it ride for another three years until you get rid of it. But mm-hmm. chances are you're going to do better on your investments in your 401K. You get a tax break for the money you put in that 401K, so... Put it on that side.
2: Okay, and and I've got two completely different answers for you. One, people always say, oh, I could earn more elsewhere. And so a really good, explicit example of that is you're paying 3.75% uh, interest on that mortgage. And, of course, that's on a declining balance. So the effective interest rate, it kind of ends up uh, cheaper to you. Uh, but you could – currently, there are no – US treasuries that are paying less than that, Isn't that you could, crazy you could just you could just put your extra payment into a US treasury and then when that treasury matures make the next payment with it uh, so that's one idea and you would you would just end up with a little bit extra money this is how a bank makes money they 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 lend uh, they they borrow money from their savers and then they lend it out to people who need to spend money and they just make money on the spread now I understand that might be uh, what we call being a little too clever uh, and so my Other point is, just a more general point, you are close to retirement, you are close to needing this money, and in retirement, paying your mortgage is one of those things you're going to need the money for. So I wouldn't, if somebody came to me adamant about uh, paying their mortgage down, I I wouldn't just put my foot down and say this is the most ridiculous idea. It's kind of a wash in that sense, in that you're moving a payment only a year or two into the present or into the future when you're doing this. So it's not a huge impact, uh, but currently, yes, you can just, you can earn more on your money that you're not putting into your mortgage. Okay. Thank you very much.
1: All right, Steve, we appreciate your call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. So uh, we'll wrap things up uh, with uh, something that I found on what's called Money Talks News, a website, no relation to our Money Talks, however. We should sue them.
2: Yes. We should buy them out.
1: Like, I mean, Take them over. Isn't money talks just too much of a common phrase for that? I'm not sure <laughs> we even had it first anyway. But anyway, uh, in the, um, the topic was sometimes it's okay to be a cheapskate. So, mm. Ryder, uh, what are some He's times?
0: always a cheapskate.
1: <laughs>
2: <sighs> Confessions here. So uh, a couple of the things that this article mentioned, and one of them I find very interesting. It says, a tools you will rarely use. I think about this every summer. When I walk down the street and I see five people mowing their lawns all at the same time, and these five people, they all got lawnmowers, and they were all within eyesight of each other, and they used their lawnmowers twice a month. For four months of the year, are you
0: suggesting a commune?
2: I think I, I've always thought, what would it be like to just have a shared little yeah. tool? Sh- because I, I have, uh, for instance, a, a skill saw, you know, a circular saw. I use that like once a year. <laughs> you know, I, I do have a neighbor who has a lot of tools, and and we work together on some things. When he's doing a big project, I'll help him out, and when I'm doing a big project, he'll help me out. We do share tools. We do. We do. Now we have a lot of the same tools as each other, but every. Now and then I need to borrow something from him, or he needs to borrow something. This from would me. be sacrilege at my house. Yes. Uh, so I mean, that's the thing. You know, I, I like having my own tools because also, and then one important thing when you do buy expensive tools or nice tools is to take care of them and take care of the things you already have because it is way cheaper to just not replace something than to replace it. then uh, that leads me to the next one. It's talking about furniture. Furniture can be expensive to replace, especially when you want. Good quality furniture. So my suggestions there are really, it does say buy secondhand or or used. I I would say buy quality furniture that you know is going to last. And of course that means style wise as well, which can be a lot well easy for me because I you know I'm not, not going to tell when it's out of style. Uh, but harder for some folks uh, who know more about style than I. But treat your furniture well. Don't just don't just like. Jump up and down on your couch, okay? <laughs> don't don't like prop your feet up Can on you the let back. Your grandchildren
0: of... jump up and down on the couch?
2: <laughs> no, not allowed. Uh, once they are over, uh, the once they are over a certain certain weight limit, you need to establish a weight <laughs> limit for bouncing. You got to understand how the force impacts on the couch. But uh, you treat your furniture well. This don't plastic just... put plastic, on. <laughs> but yeah, just like your grandmother did. <laughs> yes. Cover your nice furniture with plastic. Um, make sure you're perched at the edge of your seat no you <laughs> coasters, don't coasters coasters coasters. oh my gosh yes. you have to have coasters i mean these are all I, I know some of this kind of sounds silly but just just treat your furniture treat your furniture like you do want to use it for years to come and and notice when you when you lean back really hard into your chair did it just did it just creak did it just pop maybe That's you shouldn't my maybe bones you should creaking. Actually, lean <laughs> maybe you should be more a little more gentle Well, all
0: of that is under the umbrella of taking care of yes, the things absolutely. that you absolutely. purchase. And what's been interesting for me to look at now is <laughs> is this whole idea of, of washing clothes and how you don't really need to Nancy, you have to wash, wash your clothes.
2: Nancy? Yes, occasionally. Nope, Nancy. But I'm not washing as much. <laughs> In Nancy's house, they, they buy all of the tools, but they don't wash their clothes. <laughs> don't wash their clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and they jump on the couches right. what when no going, one is looking. What, what is going on we'll, here? <laughs> we'll have to end it there for this week.
1: Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. Thanks to Jay White, who engineered the show, and Liz Gill, who was our call screener. To hear today's show or a previous show, visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org. Or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks. And the podcast producer for MPB Think Radio is Jermaine Flood. So for Dr. Nancy lodger Anderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell. Join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB
0: Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.